This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Time to review and preview this week's business and market headlines with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Ed Moyer in New York and Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, fellas. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, let's start with you, Craig. I'd like to have your most impactful highlight of the week as far as markets or business news was concerned. The thing that really impacted the markets the greatest was what came in the middle of the week. It seemed that we were on uh, a decent run uh, and for whatever reason, and I I always think there's there's always a couple of uh, factors affecting this, uh, but Jay Powell's comments in the middle of the week seem to have a great impact on market sentiment. You can look at the what he said in that he appeared to reject the prospect of negative interest rates. And we've spoken about on here before about my view on negative interest rates. I don't think they're as valuable as some people uh, seem to believe. Uh, and I think there's times when people just want to see some form of easing and it's something that's uh, that's familiar and therefore people kind of get hooked on an idea. But I don't think minus 0.1% interest rate is going to make any difference in given the financial stability concerns they've had before. I think it's um, it seems to be a far greater risk than the reward can off possibly offer, uh, and obviously a grim assessment of the economy. Uh, I think that had an impact as well. But then, like I say, there's always underlying reasons why these things are impactful. I think in ordinary times, this wouldn't be particularly impactful. Investors have been happy to ignore the economic data. They've been happy to give a free pass to corporate results. Uh, they've been happy to look at the outlook as cloudy as it is and look at the severity of the recession we're currently in. And again, give it a relative free pass and all of a sudden Jay Powell says something like this and it turns. I think this was a market that was potentially uh, entering into a kind of profit-taking phase and at times people just latch onto any opportunity to, uh, any excuse to lock in some profit and you start to see these kind of big moves forming in the markets. Uh, and I think that was probably the big event of the week, even if compared to maybe some other things, it's less. Uh, it's potentially less interesting and less impactful in the grand scheme of things. Ed, would you agree with that assessment? Was that the most significant moment of the week? I think so. The big concern for Powell was that there's going to be long-term scarring to the economy. And uh, there's a persistent concern that low-income workers are, are just not going to be able to, to see you know, any immediate return of employment. Uh, and and uh, that a lot of these sectors, uh, whether it's in retail or travel uh, or leisure, hospitality, they're going to see uh, permanent job losses going forward. And you're not going to have, uh, um, uh, by any means, a strong economy anytime soon. And that the, the Fed chair is heavily relying upon more fiscal stimulus, which everyone knows is, is not likely to to easily come this go around. I think I think that right now the the baton has been passed to Congress and uh, today uh, we're going to see the House try to set up their uh, $3 trillion uh, relief stimulus bill. Uh, and that's obviously going to not pass the Senate that's held by the Republicans, but it, it's, it's going to bring partisan politics back into play. And I think that you're you're going to see that there's this uh, tremendous amount of uh, uncertainty as far as what is going to be the next um, uh, round of stimulus that is going to help uh, bridge the gap for this economy to rebound when we start to see reopenings um, uh, 
continue to to, to grow and and uh, hopefully we we see uh, you know fears of renewed outbreaks go down. So I, I think your your uh, Craig was exactly right to point out that Fed Chair Powell's uh, uh, webinar at the Peterson Institute was a big event, and I, I think that is is likely going to uh, you know keep investors focused on on, on Fed policy because uh, for the most part this was a, a uh, somewhat of a 180. This was Powell's most downbeat, I think, uh, press conference uh, since the pandemic. And, and uh, investors are going to be a little bit more concerned as far as uh, what is going to be the future action of Fed policy. And, and I think uh, Craig's comment about negative interest rates uh, was very good to bring up because uh, the the Fed futures markets were still pricing in uh, negative interest rates next year. After his comments that they're not considering it, um, it just got pushed back a little bit further into 2021. So I think right now you're you're, you're still going to see, um, I think, uh, Wall Street expect the Fed to, to deliver a lot more. It's just right now we're waiting. And I think that's why you're starting to see risk aversion kind of uh, persist in, in, in this market. Okay, on the other side of the Atlantic, Craig, of course, we had the latest UK GDP data, which has made a pretty grim reading. And uh, as of today, uh, the announcement about Germany's economy, which has shrunk by 2.2% in the first three months of the year and has pushed it into recession. A lot has been made of the fact that the UK suffered its worst uh, month-on-month contraction on record 5.8%. Uh, the records began in 1997, so that's March to April. And I think we're kind of focusing on the wrong thing here. The the thing that struck me most is the fact that the economy shrank by 2% in the first quarter and the lockdown began on the 23rd of March, which means there was one solitary week of lockdown in that quarter, and yet the economy contracted by 2% in the whole quarter. Having Granted, said that, though, sorry to interrupt, having said that, that, yes... From a technical point of view, that is only one week. But the build-up to the lockdown actually must have, you know, really broken a lot of people's confidence. And people did bit did start to stop doing things and stop going out for quite some weeks before the 23rd of March. But uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm not saying that one week contributed 2%, but it's it's just interesting that the kind of complete stoppage uh, uh, effectively of, of people's uh, going out of of people's livelihoods, of, of restaurants, of bars, of uh, shops. Uh, all of this was one week, whereas prior to that, you were still seeing people in the streets. I was still going into the office pretty much right up until uh, the lockdown, uh, not too long before. And even then, while there was fewer people, there was there was still a large number of people who were in the city. Uh, so yes, it is only one week of slot stop down and there is uh, of lockdown, and there is a little bit more. But you can't you you can imagine what type of uh, data we're going to now be expecting for the second quarter. You look at something like Germany. Yes, they're officially in recession, but let, let's face it, we're all in recession. Like it or loathe it, look at the data. Don't look at the data. Technical, non-technical. We are all in a severe, severe recession. The only reason Germany is technically in recession now is because their zero percent growth for the fourth quarter of last year was revised down to minus zero point one percent. How we would all crave a quarterly growth reading of minus zero point one percent right now. So yeah, yeah, I mean it's all technical, really. We are all in a severe recession. There's a reason why it didn't knock the market this morning, and the reason is because it's it's kind of irrelevant. This is only irrelevant in political circles at times. There was a time when we were talking in the UK about a triple dip recession and then not long after that it got proven that the double dip never happened it's very political argument the reality is 
if you are in a severe recession, people notice. If you see a minus 0.1% contraction and ask the regular person in the high street, uh, did you did, did the economy grow last month? The, the, you're not even you're probably not even going to know. It, it's it's minor. Um, so yeah, the, I think that's why the data broadly got brushed off. Like I say, it was the interesting part was the UK stuff on Tuesday and. Uh, and I think that just gives us really some insight into how bad the Q2 data is going to be. That Q2 data number is going to be so bad, maybe it kind of makes it irrelevant because it's Q3 in a way that counts and Q4, how we recover from the current situation. I mean, Q2, it could be anything between, you know, 15, 20, 20 whatever percentage you like. 35% if, yeah. you, if you believe the OBR. Yeah, indeed. That figure is so awful. It almost makes it irrelevant. It does. I, I completely agree because this is not a, a contraction figure that's been driven by a lack of demand. It's a contraction figure that's been driven by people being told you're not allowed to open the doors to your business and customers aren't allowed to leave their house. A lot of these doors are going to reopen again. So, yeah, I completely agree. Q3 is going to be far more important. And I think that's why when we've spoken in recent weeks on these podcasts about the jobs figures, for example, that's why people have been giving it something of a free pass, even though it is still incredibly shocking. But the problem is when you see uh, when you when you see these unemployment numbers, when you see the jobless claims numbers, you don't know how much of it is permanent and how much of it is effectively furloughed work and therefore is temporary and how many people are going to automatically return to work rather than have to seek out employment. Those are two entirely different things. So, yeah, the Q3 uh, numbers are going to have a far greater impact. Because when these re economies reopen, that's when we start to get a real proper insight into the permanence of these numbers and just how damaging and how long-term this is going to be and whether we are facing a, a long-term severe recession, whether... 10% unemployment like we saw in the global financial crisis is something that we're going to see at the start of next year because that's the type of numbers which are currently being forecast. But they're being forecast based on uh, on very little information even at this stage. And you mentioned the furlough, Craig. I mean, we, we, we should actually talk about the extension from Chancellor Rishi Sunak, which actually caught some people by surprise. It's now been extended till the end of October. We don't know the exact detail, uh, but that actually would have given a lot of companies and businesses around the United Kingdom um, some relief, at least to know that they wouldn't have to make a decision sometime in the next, what is it, six weeks till the end of June. Uh, and you have to give 45 days, don't you, notice of a redundancy, for instance. And that has given a lot of breathing space. So that would have been welcomed right across the land, including in the city. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's there, there was also reports around that time, rumours around that time that it wasn't going to last much longer. So that came as quite a surprise as to how long it was going to last. I think it, it also appears on the face of it, like you say, the devil's going to be in the detail. But on the face of it, it seems like it's been right, quite well thought out in regards to uh, if people go back part time, the government supporting them part time and, and topping them up. And uh, again, the, the detail is going to provide prove just how useful this is. But it seems like this is a kind of a well thought out scheme that is going to enable us to uh, see off the worst of this crisis and not have prolonged permanent uh, unemployment as a result. There is inevitably going to be some prolonged permanent unemployment. People who are working on the airlines, there is already redundancies being announced. People who are working in restaurants that are no longer going to be busy, there's going to be redundancies. There is avoidable redundancies and there's unavoidable redundancies. I want to ask you about redundancies though. I don't really understand the point of making people redundant when they can be furloughed. Can you explain that? I mean, are, are the airlines, for instance, just trying to get it out the way? Because they could actually keep these people employed until the end of October, by the looks of it. 
Yeah, I mean, technically you could. You could keep them going as long as the as long as long the furlough scheme is running, technically. And you don't know what the... I, I'm not entirely sure of what the details of every company's um, uh, redundancy scheme is going to be. Uh, you don't know whether they want to get the bad news out of the way so that they can start to move on with their business planning, whether they're being open and transparent with uh, the markets and their investors to say, yeah, you know, this is the situation which we have. Uh, they don't want to be seen to be taking advantage of a government scheme when they know full well that they are not going to keep these people employed. There's a, there's a number of things which are going to come into this decision making and you can't I can't really speak on behalf of many of these businesses but there's plenty of businesses out there who especially the large businesses where it's perfectly clear that there's going to have to be redundancies and like I say the airlines is one of them if planes aren't flying if people aren't traveling if if all of these things are true and this is beyond the measures this is January next year how what what is capacity on these flights going to be compared to a year ago they're still going to be reduced it's going to take years for this industry to get back so therefore they don't need as many staff so i think this is probably businesses getting ahead of themselves and you could see it as heartless because they could keep people on these furlough schemes for longer i don't know what the rationale and the decision making is uh, behind that but i think like i say there is going to be a lot more permanent unemployment as a result in certain uh, in certain sectors but this is very much going to address the unavoidable uh, the avoidable unemployment, sorry, uh, because it's going to enable companies to bring people back gradually, allow demand to grow uh, in order to bring that back. But it's also going to have another impact as well, which it does reference what you say there. It's the people who are still going to lose their job. Can you imagine being told you're going to lose your job, but you're going to do so in three months? That gives you, a, you that gives you three months to financially prepare, to put some savings to one side so that when you, you do become unemployed, you're not running into financial difficulties. So you wonder what kind of impact that's going to have. Not necessarily on people's spending habits but on debt uh, and, and on um, and on that type of aspect that comes with these financial crises as well so it is going to be interesting to see whether the, the kind of buying people time is going to uh, be beneficial in the longer term okay uh, thanks for that craig if i could turn to you now uh, ed we've had a bit of a, a rally on oil this week which will be uh, certainly encouraging for those american uh, oil companies and across the world as well were they significant very much so. And I think you're probably going to continue to see uh, investors uh, start to become a little bit more optimistic about oil prices as the markets nears uh, be finally becoming balanced. I think you're seeing uh, production cuts across the, the, the globe uh, come in a lo lot deeper and faster. And you're, 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 you're pretty much starting to see a little bit of improvement on the demand side. I think uh, this week, uh, one of the key economic data points uh, was from China, and we we're starting to see industrial activity pick up. So if, if China is the template that we're going to see Europe and the US follow, uh, they're starting to see uh, um, greater uh, demand for crude. Uh, this is just, you know, point to an optimistic scenario that we could see a deficit in, in, in the oil markets in June. And if that's the case, then, uh, you know, there, there's no reason why uh, prices uh, can't continue to um, slowly climb higher. I think uh, it has uh, rebounded uh, significantly uh, since that historic plunge into negative territory. And uh, I think that uh, some of the concerns of uh, the rolling over of the contracts, which um, we're going to see again uh, next week, um, that's not going to have a, a similar uh, outcome to what happened last month. So there's a lot of optimism on on both the, the supply side, the demand side, and uh, as as you continue to see uh, the reopenings of uh, throughout the the world, uh, there is optimism that you're going to continue to have uh, demand pick up here. So uh, it's been a, it's been a good week for oil, and uh, there is um, continued optimism that you're going to see these uh, aggressive production cuts in place. And and uh, once 
the market's balanced, then you'll, you'll probably start to see a little bit more range trading for oil. And do you think there's a more optimistic feel around? I mean, you're in New York. Uh, Craig is in London. Um, we are getting mixed reports about how the virus is being controlled both uh, here in the UK, across Europe, and of course, the rest of the world as well. We had in the Daily Telegraph this morning uh, a report there were just 24 new cases a day in London. It's uh, a lot worse in the north of the country, but certainly in London it seems to be under control. But then on the other hand, this evening there's a report that the rate is now going up again across the country above that R rate of uh, of one. It's difficult to know who to believe. What about where you are, Ed, in the United States? Obviously, we've got these states trying to uh, relieve the lockdown a bit, and that's causing all sorts of political ramifications. Uh, the Trumpites certainly want it, and uh, others are, are less happy about the idea. But can you give us an idea, certainly in New York City and the rest of the country, what it's like at the moment? I think right now there are uh, still a tremendous amount of fear that we're going to see renewed outbreaks, that the second wave is going to be um, uh, possibly um, greater than the first. And, and uh, there, there, there's just growing concern that uh, you're, you, we don't have the testing in place to properly address the situation. And it seems that uh, the current administration has not delivered uh, the, the support needed to, 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 to ramp that up. So I think that there's just still uh, too too much uncertainty. I, I think a lot of people have put a lot of weight into the, the hopes that we have eight vaccines that are getting tested. And, you know, the, the hope is that one will get done and that at some point next year uh this would be mass produced but i but i think there's still a tremendous amount of uncertainty as far as what's going to happen in the short term and then too you also do have uh, some uh concern growing that you, you we are seeing uh, more cases of uh, a strange coronavirus syndrome in kids so there's still uh the, the every every time we think we have a handle of this virus there's just a uh, something something changes and uh so i think there's still concern that uh you know the 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 lockdown measures are not going to go away anytime soon per, at least in the major uh cities and, and you're probably going to continue to see um investors be skeptical that uh uh come the come the fall we're going to have another wave and uh I, I think there's just still a lot of pessimism in there and and, and the only thing that's really propped up uh i think uh financial markets is um, all the stimulus that has been pumped into the global economy. So I think uh, you're going to see uh, a lot of people be um, questioning whether or not, you know, these furloughs, these uh, um, um, government handouts are, are going to be able to remain in place uh, as this this uh, goes on. So I think there's just uh, still a tremendous amount of concern. And uh, um, that's kind of where the market is right now. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the worry about the kids and, um, you know, the mutating uh, coronavirus. But, of course, we've got a debate here in this country about whether the children should go back to school on June the 1st. That was another announcement earlier on in the week. And there is talk of uh, at least three of the primary school years going back, which, again, would be uh, sending a, a very important message, I suppose, to everyone that life uh, as we used to know it may uh, return to a certain extent. And I wanted to ask you, Craig, actually, because I've seen some uh, reports today about uh, plans being drawn up by a Canary Wharf uh, to bring back tens of thousands of uh, people in the financial services business, bankers, lawyers, accountants uh, to the financial district 
as the pandemic eases and there's going to be all sorts of rules about lift capacity and one-way routes uh, and staggered working i mean this could could mean a return to the square mile or whatever you call it nowadays um are you less inclined to think it could i think it's going to be extremely gradual i think a lot of companies right now uh, in offices have realized that working from home is perfectly doable that there's some benefits to face-to-face meetings to client meetings to going into the office for certain things for certain teams for certain roles but i don't think that applies to everyone i think companies in the main especially office companies again are going to be extremely flexible uh, with bringing people back to work because they know that in order to come back to work almost everyone has to get a tube or get a train and we've seen the images this week uh, of these uh, already very crowded so to force people back is going to be uh, extremely difficult to do uh, and is going to is going to create a bit of a backlash if they try to do it so i think almost like some of the tech companies have already announced uh, over the course of the last week or so. I think it's probably going to be next year before we start to see some form of normality with regards to people going back into the office. And it is still going to be extremely difficult with a couple of areas in the city. You look at Oxford Circus, you look at Bank, uh, you uh, Canary Wharf, as you've already alluded to. These are hot spots for businesses and um, where you tend to get overcrowding. I don't know how you control that very easily unless companies themselves and people themselves take it upon themselves to not go into the office unless they absolutely have to and i think that's going to be the re- the really effective uh, aspect of all of this because they are the ones who do have a choice unlike some okay before i let the two of you go let's have a look ahead to next week and ed can you pick up some uh, highlights uh, for the next seven days Yes, I think a lot of people are going to be focused on the MPC China. Their uh, this their their meeting has been pushed back, and finally we're going to see exactly what their their um, approach is as far as intensifying their their stimulus and uh, their 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 response to. Uh, supporting the economy there their annual policy meeting uh you know you know normally is is supposed to just kind of confirm their gdp targets so i think uh you're going to probably uh see uh, uh china just signal that they're going to be providing much more uh, support for the economy and uh, i think that's going to be uh, a good one to watch i think the fed's minutes are are i think we're not really going to know a whole lot more from the the minutes uh, this go around. I think uh, Powell's um, recent assessment of the situation is is going to uh, support the belief that um, more will come, just not immediately. Uh, more stimulus, that is. So uh, those are the the two big ones that I'll be looking at. And Craig, final word to you. Yeah, the only thing on top of that is going to be um, Andrew Bailey uh, and a few of his colleagues from the uh, the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England will be appearing before the Treasury Select Committee on Wednesday to uh, to answer questions about the economic impact of the coronavirus. I think that's going to be quite interesting. Um, obviously, we've obviously seen a lot of the data already. We've seen some projections, but these are going to be the most up to date assessments that we have. And given given when you when you're considering something that's moving to the extent that the, that this situation is. I think up-to-date assessments, live, in person, questioned, uh, debated, is going to be quite interesting. And then later on in the week, we've got the PMI numbers, which I think 
uh, stand out uh, across Europe and uh, and the US as well. So I think they, I think they're the, they're going to be the key ones. But again, it, it, it's it's all going to be coronavirus. It's going to be how well this reopening work is working. Are the numbers still going down, or are they spiking in places? The second wave this week caught people a little bit off guard. This talk of second wave in uh, South Korea in in China and, and even suggestions in Germany as well since the reopening. So uh, I think that is going to be another key theme that's going to dominate sentiment throughout the week. But those are the other events that stand out for me. Oh, and lastly, too, I would like to add, too, we will see a handful of rate decisions from emerging markets in Indonesia, Thailand, Turkey, South Africa, and they're all expected to cut rates. So I think you're going to see more uh, more stimulus get pumped into the global economy, and that's something to, to also watch. Okay, Ed, Craig, have a very good weekend, and we'll speak to you again in a week's time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.